Well, good morning again, everybody. I hope that you had a good week. Uh, last couple weeks have been pretty good for me, which, I don't know, it's oddly suspicious. You ever have those times where things are going well and you're just wondering, all right, when's the next shoe going to drop? What's going to be the next thing that comes up? You know, it's not like things have been just great and wonderful. There's been some hard circumstances and things to go through. But the Lord has just shown me through those circumstances his goodness through all that. And it's been pretty cool to to walk alongside and, and see those things. Um, you know, when I think about how the messages have been going, how the Lord's been leading me in different things in different areas, it's been interesting to see the road that I've been on. And this week as I was preparing the message, um, I was distracted by a million other things that were going on. Um, and I knew for the opening portion, I needed to wait to see who was going to be here today. Because uh, the Lord really just placed something on my heart. Um, you know, it's always been my goal each year to try to be more encouraging as a person. Um, and, you know, my opening question revolves around, have you ever had something said to you matter-of-factly? Like something that there's not a lot of wiggle room for you to deny or reject. Of course, you always can. But it's something that's said in such a way that just it hits you between the eyes. Something that is, is true. Something that the Lord is speaking to you. And this morning I would love to just take a little bit of time and to share a few things. To share some things that as I prayed about who was going to be here, as I prayed about who the Lord would put on my heart, um, I'm just going to faithfully follow through with it. So with that being said... There's multiple names here, so I'll have to be a little bit more specific. Um, I'm going to start with Dave Divelbess. Dave, you have a servant's heart, and your smile lights up a room. Christ just exudes from you, and it's good to see. Thank you. Shay. You have great wisdom because you have such a love for books. And you are taking on your mother's heart for mentoring others. I truly appreciate what you do with Aaliyah. Tim, you have such a heart and a mission for the gospel. It's inspiring and it's encouraging. Jenny, you have a sweet gentleness that looks to others first. It's a good role model. George isn't here, but I was going to shout out being a fellow OSU fan. <laughs> Harriet, you have such a strong perseverance with all that you have been through. It's encouraging to see and your ability to reject things, as I know that you're going to reject this, is off the charts. Steve, you have been a very faithful support to me as a pastor, as a fellow pastor that you have done in your life, and that's very encouraging to me. Nancy, you have a very gentle compassion about you that looks to others' needs first. 
Daryl and Arlita, watching faithfully from your living room every week. You have a wisdom of years that is a generational impact for your family. We miss you and we thank you for that. Now as for time's sake, I have many of your names listed here. And even if I didn't list your name today, perhaps you've had things shared in the past, things that have been stated matter-of-factly, things that maybe you want to reject. You know, when you hear those types of things about you, is it encouraging? Does it build you up? Do you deny it? Do you feign humility? and just pass it off like all oh, the pastor, he's just trying to make a point. Touche. Because today in our passage, I want us to see the truth in God's word. As Paul states something very pointedly, very matter-of-factly for the people to hear, I want us to be encouraged by the hope that he gives. So if you have your Bibles, please join me in Colossians 3. Again, as we're going through Colossians, you can always just keep something in there. Go ahead. Oh, <laughs> I thought you had something to say. Like, <laughs> I was giving people time to get to Colossians 3. All right, and now if you want to follow Russ's lead, Russ, if you'd like to stand and thank you, sir. <laughs> if stand as you're able to read God's word today. So Colossians 3, and we're just going to cover the first four verses today. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Father, I just, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for this body as we come together to study your word. And I just pray, Lord, that you would continue to work in our hearts and our lives, um, that we can follow you, that we can encourage and lift each other up. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. All right, so as we get to this portion of the letter, um, chapter three, it's a transition to where he is moving from more of the doctrine type teachings in the first couple of chapters to more of the practical portions, the walk aspect of the Christian life. So I want to call our minds back up into chapter 1, if you want to flip over there, if it's not on that page. Looking at verses 9 and 10 again, looking at the prayer that he has for this people. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. So again, he's transitioning now from, from the, the truth aspect to the application in the daily living. Again, he's been combating the false teachers, and now he's going to go on and explain the true Christian life, what that should look like 
Um, and, and, you know, of course, that results from the previous teaching. It results from the true doctrine. And he's showing the opposite lifestyle that the Judaizers, that the Gnostics, that the mystics, that those false teachers were presenting. Um, you know, he's, he's saying, you know, in this chapter, in the next chapter a little bit, he's going to be talking about their Christian walk. You know, and when we think about our Christian walk, it could be an area of struggle for many of us. So if it is an area of struggle, pay attention. You know, not that you weren't paying attention the last couple of weeks, or last couple of months, and the last couple of chapters. But again, he's showing how right teaching leads to right living. So we want to understand the truth and how that, um, how that displays then in our life. So, you know, when you look at these first four verses of chapter three, you see this encouragement from Paul today. Do you see these words as being matter of fact? Do you see the truth and the power within these words today? You know, and then how can we apply that to our own lives, to understanding how we can walk confidently in him? You know, he's combining the truth with this application that they're gonna walk out. And it starts off with another first-class condition. This if can be translated as since. Paul is expressing to them so that they can have confidence that since you have been raised with Christ. Notice the past tense. This is something that has already happened. Now, can you get excited over the tense of a verb? I get excited with verb tense jokes. You know, I, I pray on those when everybody's like, oh man, that's so intense. I'm like, actually, no, we're in a building. There's no tense around, you know? Or the past, present, future, walk into a bar. It was tense. You know, it's silly things like that that can get me excited, you know? Laughter. So when you look at the past tense being used here, it is a certainty. It's something that is already accomplished in the past, being raised with Jesus. And this confidence is important to us because how easy can doubt creep in? How easy is it for doubt to attack what is true? You know, ever since the garden, right? Did God really say? Are you really raised with Jesus? I mean, you will raise, that's future tense, right? But raised with Jesus? Yes, the word says so. You know, we died with Christ and we are raised with him. The false teachers were going around and they were creating this seed of doubt when it came to salvation because they were attaching all of these other things to salvation, right? Whether it was legalism, whether it was dreams, whether it was angels, whether it was visions, they were attaching all of these other things. They were challenging the gospel message with some different way to understand salvation. You know, perhaps they were similar to today's false teachings of just thinking of it only as future, not thinking of it as past, not thinking of it as present. As present. You know, maybe in our own hearts and minds, we only think of it as future because we don't want to be arrogant. We don't want to be conceited. We don't want to have that confidence because maybe the guilt of sin still plagues us and we don't understand that forgiveness or that repentance. You know, for our study of this passage, with this first class condition, I want to link it back up into chapter two. You link it back up into chapter two, verse 12. 
Um, when we go there, it says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. So again, Paul is connecting the teachings to how to live it out. And really, this whole section kind of expands verses 9 through 15 in chapter 2. So we can kind of read these together to kind of understand the death, burial, and resurrection aspect. And the connections that he is making to the truth in Christ is how they should be living in Christ. It's a pattern that we need to follow as well. Find the truth in the Bible and then live it out. Obey. And again, like we said last week, obedience is wrapped in surrender. It's wrapped in submission to Christ. And we'll get at that into that a little bit more. But there's another cross-reference. If you want to leave your bulletins in here, let's turn back to Ephesians 2. In Ephesians 2 beginning in verse four. Paul says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So again, notice the similarities in the two passages. You can look at the, what he writes to the Ephesians, you can look at what he writes to the Colossians, and you can see those similarities. You can see the similarities in the, the tenses of the verbs as well. Notice the position of being in him. Again, a very popular phrase in Paul's writings. And we are seated with him in heavenly places. Now, how is that possible if we're seated here at Harvest Alliance Church? How is that possible if we're seated in our living rooms or something like that if you're watching on Zoom? You know, this, it speaks to our position in Christ. And again, it is secure. And that gives us confidence. I want us to be able to see that hope this morning. Back in Colossians 3, after he says that we have been raised with Christ, he then gives two imperative verbs, to seek and to set your minds in reference to the things above. Now, of course, he's speaking of heavenly things, godly things. Those are the things that we are to seek and set our minds on. Uh, to seek is to be it's a present imperative, so it's a continuous action on our part. Since you are raised, seek the things that are above. Since, since you are raised with Christ, as Ephesians says, we're already as good as seated next to him in heavenly places. To seek here implies not so much an investigation, but rather it's an effort to obtain. It is a desire. It is a striving for those types of things. It is the goal of your heart. The NIV translates this section as set your hearts on the things above. So it's that setting of the aim of your heart, your passion, your desire. So that within, you know, within the translation of these two verbs, we see how Paul is talking about setting your heart and setting your mind, dealing with your heart and your mind, and how both of those things need to be Godward in direction. So, simple question about this. What is it that we are seeking? You know, where are the desires of our heart driving us? Is it closer to God or is it closer to the things of this world? 
It's a good question to ask as we examine ourselves from time to time because I think for seasons that focus can change a little bit in terms of the desires and our passions depending on the circumstances and stages of life that you're in. And we'll talk about that a little bit more when we get down to verse four. But I want us to think about our heart's desires. I want us to think about our passions and where they're focused. Now, along with the desires of the heart through the seeking, Paul says to set your mind on the things that are above. So these things go hand in hand in our understanding because the desires need to be for Christ and, the, and for the things above. And believers need to be fixated that, on that, those things, not on the things of the earth. So Paul's kind of giving us this portrait of the Christian life to where our focus needs to be, where our minds need to be occupied in a large way. You know, Paul's not concerned about the things of the earth, about the fears, about the anxieties, about the worries that we can deal with. You know, Jesus speaks about this in the Sermon on the Mount, right? And in Matthew chapter six, verse 33 says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. And again, that's in the context of worry and anxiety. Thinking about necessities, thinking about food, thinking about clothing. Trusting in God as a provider for those things. Understanding how contentment needs to reign in our lives as we seek him first, even through the hard times. Now presently, I'm sure that you are all in the up and up on this, the Powerball jackpot is over $750 million dollars. Do you ever have that hope and desire to win that? Like, huh, that would be enough. Finally, I could have some financial independence. Just the right amount, that's right. Then I'd be taken care of. Now, while it would be nice to have some of that financial freedom, as the notorious B.I.G. once said, mo money, mo problems. And if that was cringe to you teenagers... That was a popular song when I was a teenager. So think about the songs that you're singing now, and when you get to my age, you'll be cringed just the same. But you know, when we chase after the things of this world, those things tend to be our focus. They, those things tend to be the desire, and we have a strive for those things. When we, when we have that, then the desire or the striving for God ceases or it slows down to a trickle because we're too busy, we're too occupied chasing after the things of this world. You know, as you have received him, so walk in him, so seek him, so set your minds on him. We have to understand the value of what it is that we're seeking. You know, we run after things for a reason. We run after those shiny things because they catch our attention. Again, Jesus teaches us in Matthew chapter 13, verse 45 and 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. I mean, do we ever look at the patterns in our life, how we go after what we value a lot of times? Do we know, can we identify what it is that we're seeking, what we're chasing after? I mean, is there a purpose, is there a goal behind that? Is there a method to our madness? You know, when we think about what it is that we're pursuing, where our hearts are drawn, is it to the Father? 
You know, just because our hearts are drawn to the Father, just because we pursue those things, it doesn't mean we neglect the things of this earth or withdraw from different activities because in many ways we can adopt that type of mentality where we could forsake the world because, well, it's going to hell in a handbasket. Who cares about those lost people? I'm saved. That's all that matters. But that's not the heart of God. The heart of God seeks and saves the lost. The heart of God is chasing after those things, correcting injustices. You know, when we're setting our mind on the things of above, what it means more so in our lives is that we are aligning ourselves with the will and the heart of the Father. We're trying to figure out what his plan and purpose is through his word, studying what his commands are so that we can then go live that out. That's what's meant by setting your heart and your mind on the things above. Jesus shows us this in his life. He was a great model for those types of things. Um, I I find this most expressed in the Gospel of John because in multiple places it talks about how he and the Father are one. And in John chapter 5, verse 19, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. You know, and when we think about our relationship with God, are we sons and daughters? If Jesus as the Son is doing the will of the Father, what are we doing as sons and daughters as well? Are we doing the will of the Father? You know, the thought that this kind of lines up with is how we are to be in the world but not of the world because now we are his. We have been bought with a price. There's a marked difference in our lives where the light of God is shining through us to where we bring that light of the gospel message, we bring that light of eternity into the dark places of the world. As Christians, we live for that future hope because we no longer live for this life only. We no longer have that understanding that this life is all there is and chase after wealth, fame, power, pleasures of this earth. I mean, if those things are our goals, then our preoccupation of our hearts and minds is not focused on the things above it's still focused on on the material realm. You know, one motive for the seeking and the setting our minds on the things above um, that the believers given is this union with Christ in his death and his resurrection. And again, it goes back into chapter two, verses 12 and verse 20. Verse three of Colossians, chapter three, is kind of repeating and summarizing what Paul says in that section. When we look at verse three, it starts with with the word for. This is a a purpose word. So Paul is implying that because Christians have died with Christ, everything that's foreign to him should be foreign to us. As believers, we should be seeking the things above, setting our minds on the things above because we have died with him. Death with Christ, found in chapter 2.20, is followed by resurrection with Christ, chapter, chapter three, verse one. So our lives are hidden with God then. So this suggests for us as believers that our life is secure in him and that that it belongs to a very real sense in the spiritual realm and the heavenly realms seated next to the Father. Your life being hidden with God goes back to Ephesians 2. Your life being hidden with God gives us confidence and hope in what Christ has done. It's not yet a future reference in this part of the passage. So our security with him, our assurances with him are good for yesterday, today, and forever. 
So there shouldn't be doubts in our minds when it comes to the saving work of Christ, when it comes to our salvation, because it's in what he has already accomplished. Again, the false teachers, the other voices that were out there were distractions. We have to know and believe that Christ died for your sins. And we have to walk in that truth. We have to experience that joy each and every day. Because those voices will try to come in and create those doubts. It will try to come in and take away that hope, that joy that we have found in Christ. You know, our present life draws nourishment from that. It draws strength from that understanding. Jesus says so much in John 14. In John 14, verses 19 through 21, he says, Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Notice the, the because I live, you also will live. You know, we are alive to Christ because Christ is alive. Our life is safe with him because he is seated at the right hand of God. You know, when we think about our life, that's kind of a funny thought. You know, have you ever heard phrases to describe your life? Like, music is life, or football is life. Whatever team you want to put in there, put in there. Or in the famous words of James Earl Jones, baseball is life. I can't get as deep as he does. But that's from the Sandlot, you know, to where we have all of these other things whether it's work, you know, work is life, or we live to work, vice versa. We have all of these other things that can describe what life is. But when we think about how we describe ourselves, you know, as you talk to people, you get to know them. And in the first few conversations, you can probably understand what a person's passions are. You could probably understand what makes them tick or what motivates them um, what they have their hope in, what they're chasing after. You know, you, you think about those types of conversations that you might have as you understand their pass passions. And for different seasons, the, that focus can change. For instance, you know, a, a young mom that has three or four young kids. Kids are her life, probably. And then you change and, and you grow up and maybe you become a grandparent. Grandparenting could be life to where that be, is part of your focus and you have those different stages in life where as people meet you your passions can change but when Paul says here in verse 4 when Christ who is your life appears would people say that Christ is your life no judgment just a question to examine you know, so if people are meeting you for the first few times, they're interacting with you, does Christ come up? Is he a noticeable part of your life? You know, we have died with him, we have been raised with him, and we are to walk with him because he is our life. He bought our life. He restores us to the Father. He quite literally is the very essence of the life that we have as believers, Hear these words from Paul when he's speaking to the Romans in chapter 8, verses 10 and 11. He says, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, 
The spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. As believers, we have life because of the Holy Spirit. We have life abundantly because the Holy Spirit of God dwells in us. You know, and I look at, at this motivation that's here in verse four. We died with Christ, we were raised with Christ, and when he appears, we also will appear with him in glory. I mean, that's a blessed hope, isn't it? Now, of course, this appears to be talking about the second coming, the rapture time when Jesus comes for his bride, when he appears. Just looking at that phrase, it's spoken as a certainty, isn't it? Does that give us hope? Does that give us encouragement when he appears? Now, for us, that time is uncertain. We don't know the day or the hour, but we treat it as imminent. See, the coming of Christ is such a certainty and a beautiful hope for us, even as we are in this already not yet tension of living. The already not yet view of salvation speaks of how we are saved, how we are being saved, and how we will be saved. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. The already part of salvation is asserted in our passage today in terms of the justification that has been brought to us by Christ. We see this in the past tense verbs. We are justified. It's already a done deal by what he did for us on the cross. I think it's said this way in this passage, one, because it's the truth, and two, because of the the competition or the, the false teachers that are saying that salvation could be reached through other means whether that was through works, whether that was through dreams and visions, things that they could still have a hand in currently to help them earn their salvation. But Paul is saying you are secure in Christ, you are justified in Christ because it's already done. It's a work that is done by him. Along with the past experience, you have the not yet in that we are awaiting his imminent return expectantly when we will be glorified And in the middle of that not yet is the sanctification piece of our present lives where the Spirit is making us into the image of Christ. And we're gonna cover more of what that means over the next couple weeks as we dive into the rest of chapter three. And he speaks about some of that old self, new self type of thing. So again, Paul is stressing to the church that you don't need to look anywhere else. Seek the things above because that's where Christ is. Set your minds on the things above because he has shown us and told us how to live. And we simply must act or apply the truths that are found in scripture through obedience, through surrender, through submission to his will. And again, we'll go over this a little bit more in the rest of chapter three over the next couple weeks as we look a little bit more practically at what Paul is saying to put off and to put on. But I want us to understand how our hope must be fixed securely in him alone. So for today, I want us to leave with these questions of examination in terms of what it is that we are seeking and setting our minds on. What it is that people would say is our life. Not what we would say, what do other people say? And I want us to do this because we need to rest in this blessed hope that we have in Jesus.
that we are raised with him and that we are raised to new life. And the life that we have is abundant through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And that abundant life gives us such joy, such passion, because we know and trust that we have been saved. And we know and trust what we've been saved from and what we're saved unto. And as we examine that in our own hearts and minds, it motivates us to continue to advance the gospel forward, to encourage, to build one another up for the purposes of his kingdom. Not for our own fame, not for our own wealth, not for our own power, but for the glory of God and God alone. Let's pray. Father, as we come here this morning, Lord, I am encouraged by this body. I'm encouraged by how we faithfully try to walk after you. And Lord, as there's times where doubts may creep in, I pray that we can hold on to the truths of your word. That is, as it is said so directly by Paul today, that we are raised with Christ. Lord, we, we definitely look forward to that time of glorification, that time that you call us to be home or that you come and get your church. But until then, Lord, just help us to continue to walk faithfully in obedience and surrender. Help us to advance your gospel message forward. Help us to advance your kingdom forward. Lord, I'm thankful for each one here today. And I pray that they could be encouraged by your truth. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.